Well, we're coming to the end of 1 Peter. We've been looking at it all this year, and uh, I hope you've been encouraged by it. There's some exciting things there. We've been getting to know God, getting to know ourselves, thinking about how we relate to one another, how we relate to the world. There's a lot to apply, and uh, I'm sure we haven't exhausted that. And I hope we'll keep on working our way through this letter, learning things. But I want to suggest to you that there's uh, probably a couple of parts of the letter that we might have been tempted to overlook. Uh, In fact, I think they're the parts of letters that we typically overlook when we're in the New Testament. doesn't matter whether it's from Peter or John or James or, or, or the Apostle Paul. I think we tend to overlook the real beginning bit and the final end bit. Uh, you know, because how many of them start with grace and peace to you, right? They just kind of do that. And it sounds a little bit like dear Fred, right? So you skip over dear Fred and you want to know what's going to be said afterwards. And uh, a good number of them finish with grace and peace. Add to that the fact that the Apostle Paul and Peter here often kind of just slip in uh, the command to greet one another with a kiss. And clearly we we don't often apply that part of the scriptures. Uh, Or maybe you do. Um, But I think it's probably one of those parts that we skip over. In fact, uh, many years ago when I was doing university ministry, uh, I was sitting around with the the group of leaders uh, and we were talking about parts of the Bible that we look at and parts of the Bible that we don't look at. And I was saying to them, I I want to actually uh, do some teaching on parts that we just skip over. And one of them said, I want a sermon on holy kissing. So I I put together a a sermon on holy kissing. Um, And and there was no... uh, direct, immediate application um, uh, at the time. <laughs> well, actually, I hope there was because, see, at the very core of what each of the Bible writers are saying when they say to greet one another with a holy kiss is the fact that we ought to be greeting one another um, and, and do it in the most appropriate way, but show affection to each other, show an interest in each other, reach out to each other, uh, care for one another and show each other that it matters uh, that they're there. Uh, when, when people get together, um, so easy, isn't it? Just to come in anonymously, disappear anonymously. Uh, and and I, I think one of the incredibly wonderful things about this congregation here at Salt is that we greet each other. And uh, I think it's hard to actually escape anonymously. People try. People will work that out. Uh, but the food afterwards, that's a, that's a good hook to catch people. All right, well, grace and peace and holy kissing are not things that we should miss over. Um, it doesn't say holy kissing here, it's, uh, it's the kiss of love. It's the same idea. But let's go to grace and let's go to peace. It's true that a lot of the letters start with these words and finish with these words, and, and this one's no different. So uh, if you pick it up there in, in verse 12, it talks about the true grace of God. Uh, and down in verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. So there's grace and there's peace. If you come back to chapter 1 that we looked at many weeks ago now, he starts in the second sentence, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace. Not just greetings, not just kind of Uh, repeating the standard form of a letter, but emphasising two foundational things for God's people. That we are people who've received God's generous mercy, his grace in, in great abundance. 
And, and let me say to you, friends, it is his grace, and we'll come to this, that is so foundational to who we are, and it's his grace that is so foundational to who we are right through life until it's his grace that gets us there right at the end. So it's all of grace. But there's also peace. Um, the peace with God, the peace that unites people to one another, they're big themes. Well, let's get in then to this last section of 1 Peter, and we'll pick it up uh, there in verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. A couple of things to pick up on here. The first is, this is not the first time in this letter he's talked about humility. Humility is a big theme. And where do we see the great example of humility? Jesus. That's always going to be the right answer most of the time, isn't it? Jesus is the great example of humility. And he shows that humility by trusting God when everything is going wrong for him. He entrusts himself to the one who judges justly, leading up to his crucifixion. And God doesn't abandon him. Yes, he goes to his death, but God raises him. Now, Peter is writing to Christians who are struggling. Christians who are doing it tough. Christians who are being opposed and even persecuted by the world around about them. And the danger is when the world or others have got it in for us, when we're under pressure and we're doing it tough, that we are concerned first and foremost about ourselves. The great temptation, isn't it? When, when everything's going badly, it's the, it's the woe is me. Don't you realise how difficult this is? Don't you realise what a hard time I'm going through? Don't you realise how much I'm struggling? And it becomes about us. And it's in these times that, that we need to heed the call to humility. And it's the same way that Jesus turned to God in humility that we're called to turn to God in humility. See it there in, in verse, verse 6? Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up. See, we don't have to be in there protecting our own interests. We don't have to be selfishly looking to make our lives more comfortable. We don't have to be making sure that we get the piece of the pie that we think we deserve. No, we're called to humble ourselves under God, knowing that whatever we might go through, however bad it might be, God will lift us up. And if you've got any doubt of that, look at Jesus. Jesus has submitted to God, who was abused and criticised and tortured and killed, Deserving nothing, God raised him up. And that's the promise of 1 Peter. We can humble ourselves before God. We don't have to make sure that we get our piece of entitlement because God's got that covered. And God calls us to trust in him. And what's the expression of that? Well, the expression of that is to pray, isn't it? Verse 7, 
Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. They tell us, and I think they're probably right, that anxiety is is one of the biggest epidemics that we're facing today. We we are probably more anxious than than any generation before us. And, And the young in our world at the moment seem to be enduring an anxiety far worse, it seems, than their parents or their grandparents. And I wonder what it is that's leading to this anxiety. Maybe there's a sense of being out of control. Maybe there's a sense of, of uh, disillusionment, um, lack of focus, not knowing what life's all about. Maybe a whole range of different reasons behind this. Maybe the insecurities of a social media world where everybody's kind of performing and presenting themselves constantly. I'm sure there are so many factors that lead to this anxiety. But the Bible actually shows us the way forward. Our, our identity, we've seen in 1 Peter, it's, it, it's not on how we present on Facebook or Instagram. Our identity is tied up with Jesus. And, and we've become children of God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's building us together. You don't need to be anxious if you know who you belong to. You don't need to be anxious if you know who holds your future. You don't know what your future is. But it gains you nothing to worry about how it's going to turn out. And when life's difficult, it, it, it doesn't say, look, pucker up and smile. It says, actually, turn to God. Cast your anxiety on the one who cares for you. Come before God. Tell him how much it hurts. Tell him what a struggle is. Tell him that, that you're worried that you're not going to be able to make it, that, that you can't do it on your own. And God will say, terrific, because I know you can't. And I'm there to help you. So be humble. That's the first thing. The, the second thing I think that we see here is um, that, that we're to be alert. It's interesting the way it's put here. Again, it's not a new theme. Uh, we've seen it before. Verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. A number of times in 1 Peter, uh, he's calling us to be alert or to be sober-minded, to actually get focused. Uh, We saw it back in, uh, I think it was chapter 4, wasn't it, where the the time is near, so be alert, be sober-minded. We see it again here. Um, Be alert and of sober mind. Why? Because the devil's at work. Life is not a neutral exercise. And for Christians who are struggling, they're they're going through life in a dangerous zone because the struggles and the suffering of life are fertile ground for the devil to get a foothold. When life's miserable, when everything sucks, when I'm struggling... Just to persevere, that's prime time for the devil. And so we're to be alert and we're to think clearly, to be sober-minded because the devil is actually prowling around looking for any opportunity he can get to bring you down. Um, We're actually engaged, the Bible says, in spiritual warfare. don't know whether you think too much about spiritual warfare. Uh, I, I don't think about it from day to day. It's not 
uh, a category of my thinking from day to day. And maybe it's not for you either, but I think it should be. Because, not, not, not because um, there's lots of people out there who are possessed by demons. Not, not because uh, the devil's got some kind of uh, super magical strategy to turn everybody into the most nasty, horrific, um, Satan-worshipping uh, witches and, and wizards and, and, and whatever, but, but because the devil's strategy is much smarter than that, really. We're to be alert because the devil will be at work in people who are doing it tough to lead them to self-pity which brings us in on ourselves rather than focusing upon God. Or to lead us to competition, uh, pride, thinking that I deserve and others can miss out. Or to lead us into conflict, to, to fight for our own entitlement um, to the expense of somebody else. To envy, to greed, to bitterness, to selfishness, to conflict, to disunity. You see, they're the subtle strategies of the devil. They're the strategies that we can rationalise and find a justification for. Yes, I know that I was grumpy and difficult to get along with and I was complaining about everything, but really, you should see the people that I've got in my life that I have to put up with. You should see the church that I go to. I mean, what a bunch of... You see, we can always come up with a reason, a justification, and the devil loves it when we do. Uh, it, it's not a case of, of having a, a super spell or, or a special set of words to pray in a prayer to fight in, in spiritual warfare. It's actually to turn our thoughts to God, to cast our anxieties upon him, to look to him rather than to ourselves, and to resist the devil. To stand firm and, and, and to oppose the temptation to selfishness. To oppose the temptation to greed or envy. To oppose um, persevering in the conflict. That, that's spiritual warfare. And we need to see that the call here is, is to stand firm in the faith. Because what does the devil love? Well, to drag us down. And to see casualties of the Christian life by the wayside. And here's the encouragement, verse 9, because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You're not alone. They weren't alone. Neither are we. So to be alert uh, and, and to recognise that, that the devil wants nothing more than to turn us away from God into ourselves in opposition to one another. It's a simple strategy. But he's the father of lies. He's the deceiver. And we need to resist him. The last thing here, to be hopeful. Look, look at the encouragement of verse 10 following. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And with Silas, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, in encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Now, notice here again the reminder of God's grace 
of what God has for us in the future, eternal glory. Yes, for a while we, we will suffer and we will struggle, but God's plan is to restore us and to make us strong, firm and steadfast. See, there is great reason for hope as Christians. We look forward to a secure future, not because we do really well at this Christian life thing. That's not why we look forward to a secure future. We look forward to a secure future because God is the God of grace. And he gave grace at the start, he gives grace along the way, and he gives grace to us to make it to the end. Over the last week, it might be a bit over a week ago, I watched the Netflix documentary of Billy Graham. Um, If you've got Netflix and you haven't seen that, I recommend it. Uh, I I confess I had a few tears uh, falling down the face as I watched it because there was a man who was steadfast and and he knew what mattered above all else. To to see him going behind the Iron Curtain, meeting with leaders uh, in the Soviet Union and simply telling them about Jesus who died for them and was raised again and how they need to repent and put their faith in Jesus. Um, the, the, the US were worried about you know, political compromise. They just wanted to tell them the gospel. Um, probably around the time I watched this, Mike Willisie passed away. Uh, and I remember the connection between Billy Graham and Mike Willisie back in 1979 when he was in Australia. Because Mike Willisie interviewed Billy and he asked him... Uh, whether he believed that he was going to heaven. And Billy Graham said to Mike Willisie that he was absolutely confident of going to heaven. And it was interesting because Mike Willisie, he'd come from a Catholic background, I'm not sure exactly where his faith was at the time. Um, He thought it was arrogant of Billy Graham to say that he was sure of going to heaven. But Billy communicated, it wasn't arrogance. It was nothing of what he did. It was all the grace of God. And you see, it would be arrogant to be unsure if we know that Jesus died for us and was raised again. You see, it's all of grace. And that's how we can have a hope for eternity. And that's how people can damage us, our reputation, damage us, our possessions, damage us, our relationships, damage us, even take our own life. But they won't win. Because God has a secure, secure eternity locked in for us through Jesus. And so that's why we can have hope. Not hope as in wishful thinking. A hope grounded in the promises of God. So be humble. Be alert. Be hopeful. And then finally, stand firm. Or stand fast, I think our version says here. Verse 12. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Um, When you're reading the Bible, uh, it's important to recognise what it is that you're reading and read it properly. So if you're reading a psalm, which is poetry, uh, and it talks about the hills uh, clapping their hands with joy, don't expect to see tectonic eruptions, okay? 
uh, or you know, hands coming out of the rocks, clapping. It's poetry. Uh, if you're reading 1 Peter, uh, it's a letter. And letters have a beginning and they have an ending and they have substance in between. And it's important for us to read the whole thing. And one of the beauties of reading the whole thing is that often by the end of it, the letter writer tells you what he was trying to say. And that happens here. He tells you what he's been writing about right through the letter. It's there in verse 12. I've written to you briefly, okay, it's only five chapters, encouraging you, that's what he's been doing, he's been encouraging them. And he's been testifying that this is the true grace of God. In other words, he's been reminding us through this letter that it's all of God, it's all of his grace, so be encouraged and finally stand fast in it. Keep on going. Make it to the end. Persevere by standing still. Don't move. Well, actually, you, you, you do need to move, don't you? I mean, you've got a life to live. You've got things to do. You've got people to interact with. You've got decisions to make. There's all sorts of things. But don't move. Don't move from what? The grace of God. Don't move from the grace of God. Whatever movements you have in life, Make sure that none of them are away from the grace of God. And I think I've said this before. Well, I know I have, but I think I've said it at Salt before. The longer we've been Christian, the more at risk we might be of moving from the grace of God. Why? Because we feel pretty good. Been Christian for 40 years. Doing all right? Do I need God? Yep. In fact, I need God every bit as much, if not more, than when I started. Stand firm in the grace of God. Let's thank God for this letter. Um, let's pray. And uh, then I'm actually going to just open it up uh, for a little bit of discussion. And I'll explain that. But let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter to uh, the church written by the Apostle Peter. And please... Uh, impress it upon our hearts. We pray that we won't go from here just intellectually uh, learning a few facts and details, but, but that we'll go from here with a heart's desire to change, uh, that you'll keep us focused upon Jesus, always trusting in what he's done for us. Um, if it gets tough, if it gets really tough, please take hold of us and, and keep us secure. And for our part, Father, help us to be humble, not to think that we've got it together, but to, to rely upon you. Help us to be alert to the, the wiles and schemes of the devil who just wants us to be self-obsessed. And, and keep us hopeful, we pray. Hopeful of eternity with Jesus. Help us to stand fast in your grace. Amen.